This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders. In addition, I've written a book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are and you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. The paperback and ebook versions are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to not only those individuals that are in this business, but those individuals that want to get in this business and continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name, Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week, can you imagine going to law school? That's just a general question. And then fast forward, decide to get into the sports world instead. You then go on to work for five different NBA franchises, go through multiple huge changes with relocations, renovations, and new buildings, and to top it all off, You're also a mother of three kids. Our next guest is just that, as I'm excited to have Jamie Morningstar, the Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for the Milwaukee Bucks. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Jamie, I'm excited about our conversation today, and I I certainly look forward to hearing all the advice you have for the listeners. But, you know, I think the best place to start, let's, let's start from the beginning. So you went to the University of Kansas, received your bachelor's in business. You then decided to go to law school at Ave Maria School of Law. So walk us through that journey and, and kind of what was in your head during that process. Yeah, um, going to college was always part of the plan. And then when I was graduating, I knew I wanted to work in sports, specifically in the NBA, and I wasn't sure how I was going to figure that out. So I was figuring out whether I wanted to get my master's or get some kind of other degree that would help me have a better chance of reaching my goals, even though I didn't actually have exactly what that definition was. So I decided to go to law school because I felt like if I don't ever figure out what I want to do in sports or I can't get the role I want, I can always end up being a lawyer and that would be fine. That was something that was in the back of my head growing up was potentially being a lawyer at some point. 
so it was really just a decision of juggling whether master's or law degree. And I decided to go the law route. And then as most smart lawyers do, you start selling tickets. Um, so that's, that's what ended up happening there. So, so going back a little bit further, prior to becoming a Jayhawk, what was an early experience or job you had growing up that made you decide that, you know, one, you wanted to get into sports and, and ultimately like business and sales? I think the biggest thing for me was um, we have a, a, a long history with Kansas. So my dad played basketball there. I played volleyball there. My sister played volleyball there. My brother played basketball there. So for me growing up, there was kind of that undertone of basketball throughout my life. I played basketball until I realized I was better at volleyball and I moved on to that. But I, my dad worked at Converse for 22 years, I think. And so at that time, Converse was the official shoe of the NBA. We had a lot of college teams. His job was signing NBA players and um, college teams to wear Converse. So our vacations ended up being like the final four when there was a Converse team playing or like an NBA trip when, um, I don't know, LJ, Grandmama was playing somewhere <laughs> local, right? So for me, it just became like the backdrop of our lives. And it wasn't really forced on us, but it was something that all three of us as kids enjoyed a lot. Um, so working in sports was kind of the thing. It wasn't necessarily sales as much as it was being a part of the environment that I had grown up loving so much. And then sales became the thing that I loved the most about being a part of sports. I knew I wasn't going to be a coach. I knew I wasn't going to play. Um, so for me, it was trying to figure out that spot where I would fit in and sales ended up being that piece. So, in, you know, in sales, it's obviously a lot of competitiveness and, you know, I'm sure growing up with the athletic family that you did, there's a lot of competition, go on to be a collegiate athlete. What is something you've taken away from that experience of, of whether it be growing up around your family and that competitive nature and probably everything you did to being a collegiate athlete that you still apply every single day of your life? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's okay to fail. I remember the first time my brother finally beat me at horse, which was super depressing. But then I figured out, like, you got to learn how to get him back, right? You got to learn how to beat him. So um, for me, like, it's okay for us as a, a sales leadership team to make mistakes. And it's okay for our reps to make mistakes. But what we want to do is learn from them and, and grow from them. And I think there's just you're never going to walk into any situation in life where you're not going to feel some kind of failure and you want to be able to bounce back from it. I truly believe like how you bounce back from things that were unplanned or not, you know, on your list of things that you expected is how you grow and build character. So I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned. No, absolutely. And you even going back to, to going into law school, I think, you know, from listeners and certainly from me, that just scares me, you know, thinking about <laughs> law school, you hear some of the horror stories, but, you know, over the last decade plus, you continue to renew your attorney license every year, yeah. you yeah. know, although you, and you, we're going to get into your successful career path. So it wasn't like, this isn't working. I'm going to go back. What made you decide to continue to do that every single year? I think it was more of a pride thing for me. Like I, when I started inside sales at the Pistons, I studied for the bar in the evenings and you're supposed to take like six months off and just study for the bar exam. And um, I didn't do that. I needed to get a job. And for me, passing the bar was like a sense of pride that I was able to accomplish that while working full time. 
So for a while, I kept it going. And you're also unsure. Like, you don't know if you're going to be able to sell and what's going to happen there. Um, so for a while, it was more of just a pride thing. And then I think I got to the point where it was that it was actually way too late. But I, I realized that that legal world was not going to be my path. Um, so I've, I've since stopped paying for that license. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was more, I think, a pride thing for me. Yeah, no, it was certainly kudos to, to all your successes on that end. And, you know, before Jamie diving into your professional journey in the NBA, uh, you know, across the five franchises, let's talk about you blazing trails as a successful female in this industry. And, you know, first you're, you're married with three kids. So, you know, we talk a lot about work-life balance. So I can only imagine like, <laughs> what does that balance look like for you? Oh man. Um, I think the two things I talk about that are most important in my life are my husband and my boss, because both are super supportive of family and you don't really have a true work-life balance when you work in sports, just because you've got games in the evening and you've got to work extra hours to make sure things are flowing properly. But to have those support levels, whatever, whoever your partner is that's helping you, it could be a sister or a parent that's helping you um, raise your kids. It could be husband, wife, whatever. If you have that support at home and then you also have that support at work, it makes it possible to achieve both, which I think it's, it's kind of daunting, especially for a woman um, in a male dominated industry to add a level of complexity when you have kids to trying to still do that job that you want to do really well. But if you have that support, it's definitely possible. And you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's always very important no matter what role you're at. And, you know, to your point, especially, you know, with, with families is being around the right people that, that understand mm-hmm. you, that support you, and that are being there to, to power through the ups and downs and the highs and lows. So, you know, let, give the listeners just a, a glimpse into to Jamie's life, like, <laughs> You know, working with three young ones, what time are you waking up? What time are you going to bed? What is what does the dinner schedule look like? What is the, the craziness yeah. of, of the household at times? So we have a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. Um, and it we have figured out quickly that it is impossible to, like, prepare dinner in the evenings and make it work where people aren't, like, tantruming or too tired to wait for the food to get done. So on Sundays, we do a mass cooking of um, the entire week's worth of food. So we're basically reheating whatever we make for the week, which solves a huge problem. (laughs) Um, But we end up getting up between 5.30 and 6 every day. Everyone gets ready for school. Um, My husband handles breakfast while I am getting ready for work. And then I take them, two of them to daycare. So we have a the three-year-old and a one-year-old are in daycare right now. And then the four-year-old is in virtual kindergarten. So I balance the day with meetings and her classes and then her, she's at nap right now, which is great. Um, (laughs) The new norm. Yeah, the new norm um, is setting meetings during nap time. So we balance that. Everyone gets home. My husband picks them up from daycare around 5.15, 5.30. We get home, feed them bath time, and then to bed, read books and go to bed. And then after that, we are cleaning the house to clean up just the tornado that is three kids (laughs) eating dinner and toys everywhere and all of that stuff just to reset for the next day. 
so depending on the night, it's usually about a 10 o'clock bedtime. I, if I could go to bed at 8.30 every night, I would do it immediately. As you say, just hearing you talk about that, I think I'd try to get to bed by 7. Uh, yeah. It seems like a long, drawn-out day. Well, you know, yes. and, and certainly, Jamie, you mentioned earlier with the demanding schedules of sports and nights and weekends and long hours, but also getting around that right support system and you know, working for the right people, you know, with all that demands of the sports, how would you encourage other parents in this industry to find time to be both successfully, first and foremost, personally successful, but also professionally? I think the biggest thing is you just have to prioritize what's most important to you. So like in a non-COVID environment on a game day, I'm coming home at like 4.30, just say hi to the kids, make sure they can, we can get dinner on the table. Um, it, the, Dynamic changes a little bit because of the timing. So they come home from school a little bit earlier that day. So I can say hi and then I can zip off to the arena and I don't have like that guilt that I didn't see them or that they're, they don't see their mom because their mom's working late that night. Um, so you have to prioritize what's most important to you. And then you just have to communicate that and come up with a plan with whoever the stakeholders are. So like my boss doesn't want to hear it. Like he does, he trusts me to do what I need to do. So he doesn't want to hear if I'm leaving early or whatever. He's fine with whatever my decision is. But if I had a boss that cared about that, I would talk through like, Hey, on these days, I'm going to leave at this time. And then I'll be over at the arena at this time, just to make sure that we're all on the same page. And then from my husband knows the same thing. So we, we work together to prioritize what's most important while still making sure that the other things that need to get done, like, making sure the ticket scanners are ready to scan tickets at the arena that night. You, you just have to delegate and kind of work through all of those priorities which e- with each of the stakeholders. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, Jamie, you've obviously been very successful in sales and in leadership. And I know you and I have talked about this in the past, but, you know, and you mentioned earlier, it's a male-dominated industry at times. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes women are a bit nervous to get into sales. And so what is your advice to, to not only women, but anyone that wants to be successful at sales and, and how, to, you know, what, what is that point of being successful? I think it's more about, like, having the confidence to try it. It's not for everybody, but at the end of the day, you're selling no matter what you're doing in your life. You may not be selling a a vacuum or paper or tickets to an event. Like you may be selling yourself to get hired for a new job. You may be selling an idea as part of a marketing department for someone. So everything you're doing is actually a sale in one way or another. So that experience really carries over, even if you don't end up staying in sports. But I do think that the internal motivation to be able to get through those tough times, because sales is not easy, and especially sports, it's just a a different animal than many other types of sales roles. Um, If you can get through that, then you can accomplish almost anything you want to accomplish. So I think that's the biggest thing. I've always found our female sellers are really good. I think females downplay their ability to, to sell and maybe a job like this doesn't look as enticing when you're looking at job descriptions or opportunities that are available, but I would encourage all females to raise your hands and get out there and try it because at the end of the day, you've got to learn how to sell no matter what. um, And you can do a great job. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, why is it always so important for you to always give back to the industry, whether that's to be mentoring a, a female college student or being on panels to provide valuable information or everything else that you've done to really try to provide and give back? I think the biggest thing is that we as folks who work in sports are on a different stage 
than many others and our voices have the opportunity to be heard. Um, and for me, mentoring, I've mentored a couple young females that are up and coming in the industry. And it's important to me that I can give them some feedback on things that maybe I didn't get feedback on when I was in their shoes and to help them grow and have the confidence to continue to grow in their careers is really important to me because I want to see, I want to see a change in our dynamic. It shouldn't be a surprise that a female is running a company or it shouldn't be a surprise that a, a black male has, you know, risen the ranks. Like we want to make sure that everyone is considered and, and is equal as we go through this process. And obviously that's been put under the spotlight even more during this pandemic. Um, so it's, it's even more important to me that I'm giving back to help those folks who maybe don't have that advantage um, when they're starting their careers. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Jamie Morningstar, Senior Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for the Milwaukee Bucks. And so, so Jamie, appreciate all that advice and, and a lot of it. So now on to the NBA career journey. You mentioned earlier, right out of Kansas, while you're studying for the, the law and the exam, you start working for Palace Sports and Entertainment with the Detroit Pistons and Shock. So how did that opportunity come about? Um, I was in my second year of law school, I think, or maybe the end of my um, third year. And my dad called me and said, there's this NBA job fair in Chicago and you should go. And I was like, well, what is it? what's it about? And he said it was for ticket sales. And I was like, Oh, dad, I'm in law school. I'm not going to start selling tickets. That's not my thing. And he was like, get off your little high horse and get your tush to Chicago and get your resume ready to go. Um, so I went at the time the NBA had a job fair, they don't uh, do it right. anymore. But it was one of those things you just stand in line, show your resume, talk to every team. And then the next day, the teams that liked you ask you back. So I narrowed down my choice to basically the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Pistons. Um, and the Pistons job was a full-time job. The Cleveland job was, you know, what you may see most times with inside sales is about a nine month job. And I was already in Michigan. So it seemed to make a little more sense for me. It was a little more security knowing I had student loans to pay and all of that stuff. So um, either job would have been great, but I chose to to take the role with the Pistons. Nice. And I know, you know, that's something we talk a lot about in this business is, you know, certainly starting out in sports and in sales, you're looking at 10, 12, 15 bucks an hour with commission, yeah. sometimes no benefits, you know, especially as you're studying and you're in law school and you, and you hear of how much your know, lawyers and attorneys are making, I'm sure that was a, a challenge, but I guess what advice do you give as far as going around and, and, you know, landing that job that you're passionate about and that, you know, Hey, you know what, if I follow the right people, money will, money will follow. Yeah. I think that was the biggest thing is like, 
I, you, you obviously don't want to not be able to live and like buy food and pay your rent and all of that. But at the same time, everyone wants to work in sports. So sports has been a little, a little bit of an advantage on everyone who wants to start because you can probably pay them a little bit less and you'll still be able to find qualified folks, right? Um, and the other part of it with sales is if you're compensated appropriately, you're going to make a ton of money if you sell a lot, right? So your base may be lower, but that's not unheard of in a sales position. Um, and the opportunity to make that money is really if you're successful. So if you believe in yourself and you can take your skill set and use it to your advantage, then you're going to end up making a lot of money anyways. So for folks who are concerned about that or unsure, like if you think you can sell, which if you're working for a good company that trains you well, you probably have a very high likelihood of doing that. I would take that risk because as you continue to develop and grow, you're only going to make more money. Absolutely. And you know, so Jamie, as you're now in the business with the Pistons and Shock and you know, several years having a lot of success, you decide to venture into leadership. So what made you want to become a leader? Because you had mentioned earlier, like you knew you didn't want to be a coach for sports. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what made you want to go the leadership route? I had the opportunity at the Pistons to work in our night sales program, um, which was a bunch of kids. Some of them were interns. Some of them were in college still and they would come in the evenings we would train them and then they would make cold calls and try to sell ticket packages and as soon as i had that opportunity i knew that i much more enjoyed helping other people close deals than doing it myself like i still liked it and i was pretty good at it um but the the chance to train someone and help coach them into doing it um was just a bigger rush for me So at that point, like I knew that's where I wanted to head and the Pistons had a very young management team. So there wasn't necessarily going to be a ton of movement within the next few years. So I just talked with my boss and I said, Hey, after I hit my goal this, this upcoming season, I'm going to start looking for a manager role just because I know there probably won't be one here. And um, that, I think that's my next step that I want to, where I want to go. And like a week after I hit my goal, the Sonics position opened up and he made a call for me. So I was fortunate to be working for someone who believed in me and and knew how important it was for me to take my next step, whether it be at the Pistons or somewhere else. And he helped me out a ton. I think that's the important piece too, right? Is not only did you put yourself in a good position, you started working in the night sales, you understood the recruiting and the hiring and the training process, but then also working for somebody that is invested in your career growth, knowing that they may lose one of their top salespeople. Yeah, I it meant the world to me. I don't know that that would happen at every organization. I think it's been important to me that we, wherever I'm working, we're doing that as much as we can um, so that folks, feel like they have the opportunity to grow, even if it may not be at the organization. But it was a, I, Joe Delwo, thank you, thank you. I think of you often. <laughs> nice. A good shout out to Joe. And so you mentioned you moved to Seattle, you start working for the Supersonics, then you ultimately move with the team to Oklahoma City as they become the Thunder. How was that overall experience for you, not only in your first leadership, but then then you start the, the transition? Man, it was insane. And I, I it was cool like there's not a ton of times that's going to happen in anyone's career right so it was a very interesting experience I think I matured emotionally I'm an emotional wreck most of the time (laughs) but I I think I matured emotionally there um, faster than I would have expected just because you've got 12 like entry-level 
kids, I would call them, that just graduated college that are like questioning what's going to happen next. And you have to figure out what that is and help guide them and keep them motivated on selling and, and all of that. And it was, it was definitely a very interesting experience and something that was um, trying, you know, you had to get answers and you didn't have them kind of like what we're in right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so yeah, it 12 was, different plans, but you don't know which one you're going to have to implement. Right. And that was the big thing. I think one of the fortunate things we had with the Sonics was our ownership group, which is now the Thunder ownership group. Um, they were pretty transparent. They said, if you had a full-time job, you would have a full-time job if you wanted to move to Oklahoma City. And for us, that kind of tempered everyone's concerns. And then we just had to figure out the puzzle pieces of who was moving and what role they were going to take and all of that. But it was, it was insane. I can only imagine any, uh, you know, to your point, not a ton of people get to go through that, but is there any memorable stories from that transition that was like, holy cow, I'll never forget this or this meeting that we had or anything like that? The biggest thing was um, we had like, I, previous to anyone actually moving to Oklahoma City, my boss at the time, Brian Burns, he's still there, had gone into Oklahoma City and they had set up like a call center to take in um, inquiries about potentially being a part of the, the season ticket base or package base once the team actually moved. Yep. So um, when we got feet on ground there, we had like three days to get a sales team hired before we had to get going on what we considered our first like select a seat event. So we had like a thousand resumes we got on a Friday. We reviewed them and narrowed them down to about a hundred people that we talked to on a Saturday. There was like three of us doing all the interviews, two or three, I can't remember. And we had to narrow that down to 25 people that we offered on a Sunday who then started on a Monday. Um, and that was like <laughs> the about most, a quick turnaround. Yeah. It was like we were thrown through the gauntlet, but it was a lot of fun. Um, and it definitely helped you with your interview skill set, right? Cause you were interviewing so many people. It was yeah. insane. As you say, drinking out of a fire hose, to say the least. Yeah. Yes. Well, Jamie, I remember when I first met you and we started talking about mutual contacts, and it seems like everyone I've ever asked if they knew you or have worked for you, they always say the same thing. She's such a nice person, really cares about her people and the people around her. So what advice would you give to both leaders in this industry on how to treat their team members and also for those team members on identifying characteristics on what they want to have when they become a leader? Yeah, you have to pay off a lot of people to have them say nice things about you. So put your money in savings Th for that. That means you have to sell a lot because then you'll make a lot of money that you <laughs> yeah, can pay right. people off. Yeah, it all makes right. sense. It's full it circle. all works. <laughs> um, I think the the biggest thing is doing what you say you're going to do. Care about the people around you. It's it's all it's you've got to be genuine. And there's times like most people who talk to me are are going to say what you see is what you get. Um, so you're going to know if I'm upset, you're going to know if I'm happy, like it's all, I, I try not to hide it. I have, a, I have trouble hiding it too. So that works out in my favor. Um, but I don't think anyone will walk away feeling like I lied to them or I, I don't know. I did something that was selfish that, that hurt them. I think the biggest thing to me is that you want to make sure that you're taking care of everyone around you. Um, because at the end of the day, they need to take care of you too, right? So that's been important to me. 
No, co- completely understand. And you then, you know, as, as you're spending your time in Oklahoma City and really getting that project ramped up, you then get a big leadership opportunity and certainly wasn't a small one as you move to the Big Apple and start working at MSG, Madison Square Garden. And, and so what was that first leadership role like, you know, coming off a, a, you know, a very quick leadership in Seattle to then the Thunder to now, you know, something that's been in place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, quick networking uh, drop there. The person who helped me get the job at the garden was the person I said no to at the cabs. So as long as you work through those situations, yeah. stay in touch with people, they can be of value, you know, down the road. Yeah. And you're um, just very transparent, honest of why you're making the decision. You know, you yep. never know when paths may cross again. Yep. Um, I think the biggest thing with the garden that was kind of like a whoa at the beginning, I do remember one crazy meeting where it was like my second day. I'm the director of retention, so I'm responsible for renewing all of our season ticket holders. And one of the members of the legal team said, we can't use the term renew. And I was like, what did I get hired for? Like, what's what am on? I in? Um, we worked through that, but I think the, the biggest thing is MSG is a matrix organization. So you've got a lot of different people who are responsible for different, um, levels of the business that help you get your job done. So you've got to learn who the right person is to talk to when they're free to talk, like how you can talk to them to help them help you. Um, and that was my first time. Most of the jobs I worked before felt like a smaller, more, not a family oriented, but just a smaller business. So, and MSG is a huge enterprise, right? Right. Um, so that was the biggest thing is learning how to manage through that and to still be a, a strong leader to the folks that were, um, looking to me to be a leader. No, absolutely. And so early on the call, we talked about, you know, uh, there are some people that will never get to go through some of the stuff you went through. So you went through a relocation from Seattle, Oklahoma City. You get to MSG. Now you go through the next R and renovation. And it's a huge one, you know, that cost almost a billion dollars. What was that experience like for you going through that that renovation of, you know, arguably the most famous arena in the world? Well, I swore that I would never go through another renovation. And then this new building in Milwaukee is almost the same thing. But um, for me, the the biggest thing there was we chose uh, to not utilize our ticketing system to auto assign all of the seats for our members once the new seating configuration was done. Um, so I ended up doing that by hand. So with everything uh, very manual. Yes. Um, and although I still believe that was the right decision, that was a tough one. Like it took hours and, um, I was working with one other person on that project and we spent a lot of time making sure that we got it right. And, you know, you never get everything perfect, but I think if there's one thing to walk away from that project, I felt like we did the right thing and doing it by hand because we could look at who the account was, where they were before, how the money, you know, the price changes were going to affect them and, and try to figure out the best solution for every single person. But it was time consuming at the highest level. Oh, it was, it was insane. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, MSG, there's a lot of moving pieces and it's certainly the matrix and it's, it's a beast. And so what were some key learnings from your time in MSG that you still apply to your every day? Yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things, there's a book called Leadership and Self-Deception. Um, Scott O'Neill was running the garden at the time and he's a very, if you haven't heard him speak or work for him, he's a really inspirational leader and someone who 
just um, I think he he can get people to run into traffic for him. And that was something that I felt strongly like I loved working for Scott. I thought he did a great job. I've had other than the boss I work for now, there's, you know, there's not a lot that compares that kind of level of leadership where you can just get that buy-in um, to get the job done. And the book that he had every person read when they started there was Leadership and Self-Deception. And I think about that book every single day, um, which is, it's insane to me that that has that effect. Still is in your brain, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the biggest takeaways. I think the other thing is like, even with a matrix organization, you can find a way to connect with others in such a big company if you work at it. Um, and I think that those were the two key things I took away from that role and that experience. No, absolutely. Take the time to build relationships internally. And, you know, almost like you said with, you know, you turn down your boss one time and then end up working for him, like same thing inside. You, you may not work with those other departments now, but in six months you may need their help. And if you don't have a relationship, it's, it's a tough hill. Right, right. Very true. So you then, you take from your time at MSG and your successful time there and going through the renovation, you head to Milwaukee to take on a Bucks project that needed help to say the least. You know, when you got mm -hmm. there, the team was ranked last in season ticket sales, under 2,500 yeah. FSEs. Over the past five years, you and your team have now seen 170 plus percent growth and have over 10,000 season ticket orders now. And so what were some of the early challenges you had to overcome when you first got to Milwaukee, whether it be in the market or even internally? I think it was a mixture. So, um, you know, part of selling out basketball, especially at the time when we started, was season tickets and groups, right? If you can have good platforms there, then you can do some partial plans. You can sell some single-game tickets, and it'll all kind of work itself out. Um, we happen to be the lowest in season tickets in the league, and then we also happen to be the smallest sales team in the league. So for us, part of it was like, okay, we have to retrain the market on how important it is to buy a full season and, and what that means for someone who has a season ticket. And then we also have to bulk up our staff because regardless of team performance, we're always going to be expected to sell. And if we have the smallest staff in the league and we are also the worst at selling in the league, something has to give. So we had to retrain the staff we had. We had to bulk up on staff. We kind of went 76ers style. Um, Jake Reynolds helped us kind of figure out what our plan was going to be because they had just gone through something similar. And then we had to retrain the market, which was a pretty tough deal. Like everyone who had bought any kind of plan was receiving the same benefits at the time. So we had to make a lot of change, but we stood strong behind what we thought the business operation should look like. And it ended up working itself out. And then, you know, you draft Giannis, things start looking a little bit better. And that's the whole deal. Like if the team's winning, hot dogs are warmer, beer's colder, it kind of works itself. Um, so we, we had a bunch of different tipping points. We always talk about being prepared for the next tipping point. And for us, we were just prepping for that, um, which it ended up working out really well. Yeah, to your point, no matter whether it be internally or externally, some of the decisions weren't popular, and you always have to put you and your team in position to be big wave ready, uh, and you right. guys are certainly able to capitalize, but you know, as you're going through that, both you know with the, the external customer base as well as internal, you know, a lot of moving pieces, how did you go about prioritizing, like, here's what's going to be most important now, and you know, what is your advice to, to listeners, both in leadership and in sales, the value of prioritizing what needs to be done now versus what may be able to be pushed? 
Yeah, you've got to figure out it is it's prioritizing and it's never going to be the same for one team versus another. Um, for us, the biggest thing was like, OK, if we are going to convince reps that they've got to sell foals, we have to pay them more for foals. Like we can't pay everyone the same thing. So one of the first things we did was we adjusted our compensation structure, not so that people made less money, but so that they were rewarded for the things we wanted them to focus on. Um, so everyone, we're full menu. Everyone gets paid on everything they sell. But if you are an account executive, we want you selling more folds. So you're going to get a bonus that's tied to selling folds. Um, yep. um, and groups, same thing. You're, we want you to sell everything, but you're going to focus on groups. Uh, so we worked through it that way. And one of the priorities was the compensation plan. The other priority was bulking up staff. Um, and then that product mix and working through that. And then you start figuring out, okay, what's the other low-hanging fruit that we need to focus on um, as we move forward? And that was like adding managers. It was myself and one other person for a while. So, like, you, you've got to figure out what those priorities are. For us, it was bulking up staff, our compensation plan, and what does our um, ticket plan structure look like for people buying from us? No, absolutely. And it is very key to prioritize right? You know, set your expectations and goals down. Once you hit them, then you can continue to move on, which you guys have done and had a lot of success. And, you know, Jamie, earlier you mentioned you never thought you'd ever go through a, a renovation. You, so you went through, you know, and I'm sure when this came about, you, you probably weren't saying, all right, I'm out of here. I'm out of Milwaukee. But, you know, you've been through the transition. You went through a massive renovation in MSG. And now it's finally time to start being part of a new build. Um, you know, with the, the forum there and construction costs of that, you know, over a, a half a million dollars, um, really become a destination in Milwaukee. So how was that overall experience of, of going through a new build and some of the meetings that you're a part of? Yeah, I think um, we had a few, like one of the memorable moments, which is small and not a big deal anymore, but we had talked about like every seat was going to have a cup holder, right? So we're selling that to all these people buying new seats. And then I happened to be invited like late to some random construction meeting where they were like, yeah, we're not doing cup holders anymore. <laughs> and I was like, no. Like, that like, was our selling was, point. Yeah. So um, small stuff like that, super interesting how you work through all those, those different dynamics. Um, unfortunately, we made the decision again to assign seats by hand. So I had to do what I swore I would never do again one more time. And I didn't have my partner in crime to help me this time. Um, I feel like you've perfected that at this point. You're going to yeah. start getting calls from teams like, look, I don't need you to work here full time. Just when it goes to relocation, can you just do a side hustle with it? And my answer will be no, unless <laughs> the paycheck is gigantic, I tell you. Um, so, yeah, we went through that process again. I think it was very like parallel path to what we did at the garden our communications, you know, how we did our sight lines and what we used to show what your new seat would look like and all of that. So um, it was a lot easier than the first time around because they'd gone through it, yep. but definitely just a huge, huge challenge. And, uh, you know, a lot different because the building was going from the ground up, right? The garden, the walls on the outside stayed the same. Almost everything on the inside was different, but to see something 
like our old building go down and the new building go up, there was like a new set of emotions to that that was really fulfilling. Yeah. What what a great experience and certainly a great journey. And you've now in Milwaukee have spent over seven years with the team. We've already yeah. talked about a ton of records, ton of success, ton of great talent that, that you've grown and developed that are still there or moving on to, to bigger and better things. And, you know, as you look back at your time over the last seven years, what's been the most rewarding part of your experience? I think the most rewarding thing has been, and it, it's, it sucks to look at it now with the pandemic and everything that's going on, but like the team we've grown, like we have some reps who are started with us when we were bulking up. Um, and we said, you guys are going to set the tone for our culture and where we go. And they actually did that. Like they've, we've lost a couple over the pandemic. They just had to go find other jobs, you know, but the, the conversations I've had with those folks that have left, it's like, wow, the, contributions you made like we wouldn't have been we're not where we are today without you and that is super fulfilling I think the other side of it is the leadership team that we have like you are asking me to talk on this podcast but really those folks that are leading our reps and and doing all that rolling up their sleeves and getting dirty with everything that we have to get done like those managers are killing it and they're doing a great job and it's not because of me it's more because of their leadership skills and their ability to to help those reps understand what they're here for. Um, so those are the two things I'm most proud of. Awesome. And that's, that goes to show why you're such a great leader and very well respected <laughs> in this industry. And, and Jamie, this has been great. Ton of great advice and an awesome career journey. And so to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for yes. this? Yeah, I am. All right. What's your favorite item you've purchased this year? Oh, man. I buy shoes. I buy a lot of shoes. Um, and I bought, I know this sounds like not cool, but I bought a pair of clogs during this pandemic and they're my new favorite. Nice. Well, you know, we always talk about is like, if you, know, you, you want to look at everything you do as a business, we've talked about, you know, you sell more, you'll make more. So it's like, part of it's like, Hey, I've just sold a lot of money. So now on the volume, man, I can buy more shoes. So, so huge kudos to that. Yeah. Jamie, if you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it Pizza be? Pizza with ranch. Pizza with ranch. Pizza with ranch. So how yeah. often is that made on those Sunday evenings getting ready for the, the rest of the week? Well, we actually have movie night on Fridays where we have popcorn and pizza. So okay. that actually gets us through the end of the weekend so we can cook all that food on Sunday. Nice. Awesome. And, and finally here, what what is the last thing you completed on your bucket list? So actually, I, that interruption there was our plumber leaving. Um, my dad came up here for two weeks, and I took a week off, and we renovated a bathroom together, which is something that I've always wanted to do. It doesn't sound very bucketish, um, but it's something that I have a ton of interest in, and I, I loved the experience. So he just came and hooked up the final pieces we needed on the plumbing side. Um, so today, the bathroom is done. Well, congrats on that DIY project. Thank now, you. Now you're going to be even more popular. Not only do you, you're going to be relocating seats, you may be in the end of the new build and the renovations of getting everything redone. Yeah, plumbing, all of it. <laughs> so, so, Jamie, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Yeah, um, one of them I've already said is do what you say you're going to do and be transparent about it. I think that's a that's a big deal. And I also think it's really important that you care about others as much as you care about yourself. 
And I think it's really important that you care about yourself. So there's a lot of talk, like when you're a manager, you want to put your reps first and you want to take care of them. And that's true. But you also have to put yourself first. And especially as a parent, like you're spending a lot of time with kids when you get home, you've got to find time for yourself too. Um, and then the final thing that I've, my mom gave me this quote a couple of years ago that I, always kind of lingers in the back of my head. You don't ever really know what someone else is going through. Um, so you don't want to make assumptions like someone's having a bad day. It may not have anything to do with you. It may have something to do with like some bad news they've heard about from a friend or home or whatever. And especially in this pandemic, it's really tough. So, you know, I talk with our managers a lot about taking a step back and remembering like you don't know the full life of what that other person is living and it may not be as great as you think it is. Um, and they may be going through a tough time. So we're trying to be as empathetic as possible to, to work through that with everybody. But I think that's just a life lesson that's really important too. Absolutely. And Jamie, I think throughout this entire podcast, you know, one, the one constant has been is care. You know, you care about mm-hmm. people, you care about your customer base, you're going to do what you say and, and really go above and beyond for everyone. And so Jamie, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I certainly appreciate your time and, and your expertise and all of your advice. Well, thank you. I'm honored to even be considered on here. So thank you so much. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.